Hello and welcome to the final race review of the 2019 season. Uh, we are here to review the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in probably as much of a whimper to the season as the race was, because there's only me and Stu here this week. We have no Chris, sadly. No Chris, no Chris this week. What's happening, speed freaks? <laughs> At least you have still have some upbeat optimism, Stu. Yeah, always, <laughs> always upbeat optimism. Hopefully Chris will show, just like Abu da- the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, hopefully Chris will show up towards the end <laughs> when the race actually became good. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and when our content actually becomes good, because let's face it, <laughs> our best content comes from the end of the episode when people ask us questions rather than us rambling on like idiots. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes for sure. <laughs> but let's ramble on like idiots about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, so there were bits and pieces leading up to the race. Um, two most significant really were Bottas having to start from the back, um, multiple new engine um, and... MGUK components, I believe it was, was yeah. MGUH was one or the other, wasn't it? Was it was two whole new power units in the end, I think. Yeah, so there was a new IC unit, new MG units and stuff like that, yeah. um, all down to his retirement in Brazil, allegedly. Um, mm. I think that was just more of a, let's just chuck a new everything in the back of it and go for it, I guess. Yeah, do you think? I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, after the, he had quite a big shunt with... Um, uh, with Grosjean in F3 yes, practice too as well. And that I think yeah. that did a bit of damage. I think they were worried about a bit of damage occurring from that. So even though it was a front-on hit, they, um, I think they changed a bunch of components after FP2 for FP3. So I don't know if they were running like maybe some old components and they were worried about them getting Possibly. to the end after that. But yeah. Did you see that he said he expected Grosjean to see him? And my, my instant reaction to yeah. that was... Um, I wouldn't expect Grosjean to do anything that a normal driver would no. do. Valtteri, just be cautious. I will. Yeah, what was he that number eight? Oh, hey. oh, look who it is. Hi, guys. I was sat waiting for you to say something there because I saw you join. It's Chris, wait, you joined well, like scra- just in time. We might as well start again. Scrap that intro and we'll just carry on from here. <laughs> Got anything to say about Bottas, Chris? Um... <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, he shouldn't have been turning on Grosjean like that, should he? Really, that's about it. Yeah, it was. It was down <laughs> the inside, down the inside. Grosjean, there was no way Grosjean was ever going to see him. You'd need eyes like a bloody hawk to see him coming from that far back. Um, and it was, it was in practice as well. Like, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. He sh- Bottas made a massive mistake there, and he got a penalty for it, and quite rightly yeah. as well. He deserved one. I, I think he tried to play on Grosjean's reputation, as I was oh, joking yeah. about a second ago. But big time, big time. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. The the other thing pre race was um, Leclerc. He had what was labelled as I believe a significant fuel discrepancy pre race, which basically the 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 stewards at any point can decide to check a car's fuel load, and what was in the Ferrari was very very different to what the Ferrari team had told the FIA was in it, which was the reason for it potentially being an issue. But they put it to one side and said it was going to be looked at after the race, which I think probably set the precedent that 
if anything was going to be happening, it was going to be a team penalty, which I think is probably more of the right decision. And and since after the race, they got was it a fifty thousand euro fine or was it fifty thousand dollars? I can't remember what currency it was. I think it was dollars. It was fifty thousand of a given currency. <laughs> yeah, get fifty thousand units. Ideally, you want it to be in something like yen, don't you? Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Zimbabwean. Yeah. <laughs> it's like ten um, pence or whatever. So yeah, it didn't didn't ultimately affect the race, but there was like a bit of a cloud hanging over it for the most part. I felt where there was a lot of sort of thoughts of, well, is Leclerc going to keep the podium? Like, what could I? But I, I do think that if there was any penalty that would affect the result they would have probably made more of an effort in that hour to decide on it and dish it out before the race started, wouldn't they? Yeah, it was a a sort of... It was a weird one because it was to do with fewer weight. So what what happens is they have to declare the certain weight that the fuel is before Mm. the car, after qualifying and before the car goes to the the grid and um, or before the engines turn over, before certain things happen before before the race it's, takes place it's a two-hour window before the yeah. race isn't it i think it's around the two-hour mark they have to submit yeah. the information to the fia and there's all these tests that they can do so they have this predetermined set of wheels that are a set weight that is measured as a constant um and they use they fit those to the car weigh the car and the car has to weigh including fuel the same amount that they declare that it weighs and what happened was the when they weighed it it had 4.8 something kilos less fuel in it than or more, less or more I'm, god i can't remember which i can't remember it. which way it was i just know i don't think it oh, no, ever actually say, said they live. never said yeah they never no, said no they just said, said it was a yeah, significant difference it was a difference yeah so more or less 4.88 they give you the number of the weight but they won't say whether it was more or less which you know what's the what's the weight that they're supposed to use is it it's the declared weight it's whatever weight they declare it to be because what they're doing is they're trying to measure how yeah they're trying to measure how much fuel is in the car and where that fuel's going so it's very fishy the whole thing Mm. is very yeah where's this weight you don't lose 4.88 kilo unless there's like a massive fuel leak (laughs) On the car somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be as simple as just, you know, it could be something innocuous. Like it could be someone just put the wrong number in, got confused um, and had the wrong information and literally then, declared the wrong weight. But it's... But then when they're running like that close to the tolerances, like, you know, the drivers like get their weight down to a certain level because they want to mm. run as close to the weight limit as possible. Like nearly five kilograms is a big difference. It's... yeah. Like Ferrari have said that they've had their fuel checked like this numerous times over the season and this is something they've been up to across the year, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something that I imagine is very much like the Weybridge system where it will happen multiple times up and down the grid throughout a weekend or throughout a race, but you obviously only tend to hear about the ones where somebody's missed the Weybridge or a discrepancy like this because... It's a non-event if everything passes, isn't it? Then they exactly, don't report yeah. it. So, for the amount of times they will have passed it, I don't think it was anything untoward, and I think it is just something that's come about mm. either by a mistake or something's been changed that wasn't taken into consideration. Maybe, yeah, or so. maybe. So, I think it's something fairly simple, but I think it's a bit naughty. I think 
if mm. if they were still in with a chance of winning the championship or in, if any of their drivers were in a chance of winning the championship, I think they'd be in a lot more trouble than what they have. I think they got away lightly because Potentially. it was all over and it was the last race. I think if, if there was more at stake for this race, I think they would have come down much more quickly and much harder because it is yeah. a, it's a very, very serious thing. to For that amount of, for it to be, for, for given the amount of conjecture that's been around the Ferrari engine and their um, specific use of fuel, the way they've been using fuel. Yeah. To have such a huge discrepancy is where's that? If if that's less fuel than than it should be, then where has that fuel gone? You know, it's been burnt. Where would it be burnt in the engine? Why why have you got why have you burnt that amount of fuel extra? Yeah, when you shouldn't have. Yeah, like I think even it could have been. They're sailing. They're already sailing really close to the wind. I think they might have been by the skin of their teeth, almost being caught out there. Yeah. If it's yeah. not something very fishy, it's a colossal mistake that a team like that, well, the, yeah. no Formula One level team should be making, is it? Exactly. Realistically. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just glad that it didn't end up affecting the the entire result. Like, yeah, but I do again. I do think race, if, if they it? suspected it would, they would have made that decision before the lights went out and, and dropped him on the grid or something. I think realistically. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so going on to the race itself um, the first little bit of action we saw was Lance Stroll clouting Gasly into turn one um, caused a very lengthy stop for repairs to the damage on Gasly's calf Um, new front nose and obviously a tyre change significant damage to the car and he was stationary for a long time it kind of killed off his race didn't it? it killed off any realistic sort of battle he would have had within the points do you not think yep and any chance of him keeping hold of sixth in the championship as well yeah, yeah. and Very nothing ever came of it for stroll did it i know it was looked at at one point it, all three of them were looked at for the incident but i don't remember seeing anything ever come of it no a stroll retired in the end anyway didn't he yeah, yeah true. again maybe it's that first lap first corner be a bit more lenient thing but mm-hmm. It was pretty clumsy, I think. It was clumsy. Yeah. I think it was it was unfortunate. So yeah, so Stroll sort of locks up and and he turns in and nothing happens, which is it can happen at the start of a race, you know, just because it's Stroll doesn't mean we have to be that hard on him. I think yeah. if he I think it was unfortunate the way he hit him, I think because it was wheel to wheel contact. And it was only the yeah. fact that it t- it sort of tipped him. It would have recovered and he did he did. Essentially, he recovered the car, but because of the angle it tipped the car onto, it sort of knocked his front wing into um, Stroll's teammate Perez's car, and that's yeah, what yeah. took the rear wing off. And it, it, obviously, the rear wing goes flying, and then you've got no grip. You've got to go a whole lap and get round to the pits, and it, it wrecked his race straight away, didn't it? I think it was. I do think it was a racing incident. I don't think you can. Uh, given yeah, they're I don't, on cold tires. I'd and, agree. You know, they just both Stroll just got a little bit unlucky for me there yeah it, it i think it was right to end up where it did um it was just a little clumsy like we say i think avoidable but it's one of those things in a pack turn one isn't it yeah, it's just what yeah happens sometimes one. you're so, in but, no man's land aren't you yeah um moving further on into that same lap though signs versus norris i thought personally was a great battle in during the yeah, opening that was lap. really good um and during all of that, both of them staying right on Albon's gearbox and yeah. 
giving him a bit of a hard time during the first lap or two, just just making sure that he knew they were there as well. So it was like the the two McLarens going wheel to wheel to overtake Albon at times. Yeah. And I, I just loved that little duel between the two and a bit of them <laughs> that was yeah. going on during the first lap. Yeah, it was hot email stuff. Yeah, it was. It was a really, really good joy. The, the Red Bull just did not switch its tires on early doors, did it? The Red Bull not was all, really slow. They were all. I mean, what uh, was it? Uh, Verstappen got overtaken by Leclerc really early, didn't he? Yeah, like yeah. he was standing still. I don't know if that was maybe more to do with the other issues Max was having that we'll probably yeah, get to maybe. in a sec. But oh yeah, okay. The I think that is part and parcel of it, but that you know the tires thing, but. It sounds like Max was struggling with the car from lights out, to be totally honest. And until the race ended, he really seemed to have problems, which, like I said, I guess we'll we'll cover in a sec. Um, yeah, he had the the, engin- the engineer was on the line quite a lot, telling him when yeah. to lift and coast, what you know, giving him instructions, what to do with the car, how to manage the issue. Um, yeah, I still don't know what that issue. Do you know what the issue was, anyone? They were they were having some sort of power delivery issue. I don't know the exact ins and outs of it, but there was also a point where he was complaining about um, an issue with like what sounded almost like a dead spot in his throttle map or something. He was saying he said he felt like yeah. he had a gap in it, which it all just sounded like a, a odd electrical issue to do with the the power unit itself. Um, but yeah. I don't know the exact ins and outs of it. I just. I know what he was saying over the radio and, and there was a point where they tried to tell him to change a few settings and then they said, sorry, that's as much as we can do. You're just going to have to deal with it. And then he had some more complaints and then they found a bit of a fix. And it it was a constant conversation between the two of them throughout most yeah. of the race, really. Yeah, I don't think I've said specifically. All I've really seen is that he was, as you say, like a kind of throttle pickup issue. I think he was getting quite a bit of lag on sort of drive out of corners, but... Yeah, I didn't see the for him that much, did it? Yeah, I heard the phrase "talk hole" used, which Ooh, like. talk hole. That might be what I was hole. thinking of when I when I, was, I thought he was talking about the throttle map. Yeah, maybe. talk hole. I like the idea it's of falling down a talk hole. Yeah, put that. It sounds that's like if you've ever driven a turbo car and you put mm. your foot down and nothing happens. For, well, something happens, a bit happens, and then you get the whoosh of the yeah. turbo. I imagine that's what a torque hole feels like. The, the bit before the whoosh. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was about to say, it sounds like the hybrid equivalent of turbo lag, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. But we were talking about, sorry, Sainz and Norris, we were talking about, weren't we? Uh, initially, yeah. I, I don't know if there's anything else <laughs> you want to say about them, to be honest. We were... um, Sainz and Norris, I thought, yeah, it was just a bit of a ding-dong, wasn't it? Sainz and Norris had a great... I thought their races were absolutely brilliant altogether, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but yeah, that opening lap, uh, Sainz did well not to hit the back of Norris um, at the end of the second yeah. long straight. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he must have touched there. He must have made the lightest of contact with the rear of Norris's car as, as Norris was trying to get by Albon. Um, obviously, Albon managed to hold on to the position and as his tyres warmed up, he pulled away. Um, leaving those two to it but yeah it was it was a great great bit of racing at the start of the race early doors yeah as as a mclaren fan and someone who was rooting on signs to hold that sixth place i was just glad they got through that first lap without hitting each other's yeah completely yeah, honest yeah, with you. yeah i was yeah, heart in mouth like, as, as, as one of you just said proper heart in mouth stuff because they came so close to making contact i'm just re-watching it it was like inches apart on the uh like the end of the second big straight yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the next things that sort of came about was the Ferrari attempt at a double stack. Um, now I say attempt at because it wasn't actually that bad of a double stack in all honesty, but Vettel, who was in second of the two Ferraris, um, appeared to have trouble with the front left and then follow-up trouble with being let off the rear jack from what we could tell. Um, and both cars went onto the hard, which seemed a little early considering that they were on different strategies to begin with, with one with Vettel starting on the soft and yeah. Leclerc starting on the medium. It seemed odd that they double stacked them to get them both on the hard when they did. Maybe the the hard did appear to be the race tyre overall. Everyone seemed to be putting in the best um, sort of consistent lap times with the hard tyre through the race, but was it? Did it really need a double stack, uh, especially considering it potentially led to the problems that slowed Vettel down in the first place? Um, mm, did they really need to do cool. that? They probably didn't need to do that, but by doing it, they are mitigating any racing that the two are going to do. You know, they're, they're sort mm. of building a nice gap between the two, so they can't hit each other. It was probably a pre. It's probably punishment for for what happened the uh, the week before because it was Vettel's fault, wasn't it? Do you, I'm do you not think that's they, where they've gone with it as a team? Do you think they've gone, right, the way to stop them racing on the way in and out of the pits is to bring just them, them nose yeah. to tail and do it like this? I think as a temporary measure, that could be that could be a way of doing it. Yeah, it's the end of the season. I think it's. I don't think it's a sensible way of doing it, but I mean, it's a possibility. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> what I'm not saying, what I'm definitely not saying is that they engineered a slow pit stop yeah. for Vettel. That's, yeah. that's, I don't think that would happen. Absolutely I don't not. think and this, that's anyone not sarcasm, thought you were. Like, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to clear that <laughs> but, one up. Um, yeah. But to me, I was convinced when, when he pulled out of the pit lane, when he pulled out of his pit box, I was 100% convinced that his left rear wasn't on properly because you saw that the front left went on slowly and then the left rear, we saw the, the, the wheel gun guy pushed the wheel gun back onto it and then back off of it and then didn't seem happy with the result. And then the camera just, I don't know, there's just something about the, maybe it was the angle of the camera, but it looked to yeah. me like the left rear was moving, but obviously it wasn't. Otherwise he would have been straight yeah. back in and he would have been, uh, well, he wouldn't have been straight back in. He would have pulled over and that would have been the end of his race. But I, I was I was wrong. <laughs> I was completely wrong, but it looked a lot I, like they, it. They, de they definitely had trouble with the front left. The front left was very slow on and looked like they were having trouble um, tightening it up. Yeah, I mean, I can only assume their thinking was they were trying to get them both ahead of um, Verstappen at that point. Even then, to bring them both at the same time when they're on different strategies, it, I don't know, it just seemed like an unnecessary risk, I think, at that point. And it's another thing as well, like we've seen Mercedes double stack a few times this season and Red Bull once or twice and nail it every time. And doesn't <laughs> it just sort Ferrari's season that the one time they try it, it all Definitely. just falls apart? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. I think had they been on the same yeah. tyre, it would have appeared to make more sense. The fact that they were on different tyres yeah. is, I think, what made most people watching scratch their head a little and think, what What are they doing? <laughs> Why are they doing this? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was really surprised to see um, Vettel just come in yeah. straight behind um, Leclerc. I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, definitely not. Um Going back to science, funnily enough, um, he had a nice little battle with Ricardo <laughs> not long after that. Um, it, although he ultimately got a bit deep into turn five uh, and had to give the position back because he cut the corner as a consequence of going deep, but it didn't take him too long to get it back and start attacking Norris. But I think 
that sort of battle with Ricardo, his battle with Norris, um, it summed up what was overall quite a good race for Sainz and Norris, respectively, I think, at McLaren, wasn't it? The battle with Perez as well. That we, that yeah, we'll they definitely had the pace yeah. in the midfield. Like both those and the and Perez in the force. Uh, oh, Neil's a force India <laughs> in the in the racing point. <laughs> um, Perez in the racing point. The, both those looked very good. Uh, at least in the hands of Perez, it looked good anyway. Yes, they are. So so Perez pitted really late, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then had to, and then fought back through the field, which is a hell of a drive because he basically won best of the rest. I, I, is that what we're talking about now? Do you want to go into the Perez boy, or do you want to? Well, yeah, I was, I was sort of angling for some science and Norris chat, but yeah, we can talk about Perez too in amongst that because ultimately he finished above both of them, didn't he? So he went to about lap thirty-seven, thirty-eight, something like that, before he stopped, and then weirdly went onto the hard tire for three laps. I think it was. Uh, three laps for 17 laps, which I think it was, which was really weird <laughs> yeah. to go so long on one tyre and then go to the hard tyre. Yeah. Seems a bit off, but whatever works. Mm. It was the race tyre, though, and it it, it, yeah. it it worked really well. I mean, Hamilton set True. the fastest lap on that tyre after 22 laps and running it. So, you know, that that tyre was... That had done a yeah. whole other race, I think. <laughs> it was just absolutely rock solid. It was the perfect tyre for this race. Um, yeah, so Perez fighting his, I mean, Perez did the late pit stop and came back, back into the mix. Like it didn't look like he was going to really do anything. He went for so, so long and then, yeah, just, he had so much pace on that tire. He fought his way back through the field, um, making some good moves along the way as well. Yeah, I've, I've got to be honest, until just before we started recording, I had actually forgotten who was on the podium because I spent so much of the race concentrating on that midfield battle. I sort of barely paid attention to what was going on the front. Like, yeah. There was so much chopping and changing through the midfield and yeah, really the midfield good racing. It was actually really, really good, but you didn't see incredible. anything of it. Um, the other thing I was doing during this race, Chris, is nursing a horrific <laughs> I can't imagine why that was. Yeah, thanks to your girlfriend's Thanksgiving <laughs> celebrations. <laughs> Stu is giving thanks to Alka-Seltzer on her Sunday morning. Yeah, big time. Oh, I'll tell you what. I've got, a, I've got a dark story about being in the shower and having just eaten a Barocca <laughs> for you after this. Yeah, let's, let's save that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but speaking of the midfield battle, it looked to me as though... Midway through the race, did you notice like on the timing screen? Because let's all face it, the timing screen gave us much better <laughs> racing this weekend than <laughs> yes. the actual footage of cars going around the track did. Um, the Norris and Ricardo for a, uh, it was either Norris and Ricardo or Norris and Hulkenberg for a long time in the middle of the race seemed to be swapping positions quite a lot. Yeah, and I was like, why are we watching these cars? Not no one doing anything when. Yeah. Norris and, and Ricardo were having an absolute or Norris and Arena were having an absolute ding dong of a battle um down the straight. But I think what it was, because it started happening again later on. I think and I think this had something to do with the DRS thing as well, because the DRS sense one of the sensors failed around the track and it was to do with DRS. That's why that's one of the reasons why the DRS wasn't activated. Um oh it was actually a server failure, but I wonder if like that had some kind of effect on some of the other timing aspects. Yeah, as well, possibly. Because, Maybe. 
one of the loops at a certain point in the track must have been registering the Renault ahead of the McLaren and making it, uh, but only intermittently and making it look like one was ahead of the other when it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, And then they go back to the, then they go to the next loop and they're not ahead. Unless like they were having an absolute ding dong. I mean, I know they were close together. They must have been close together for that to be happening. But it's a shame we didn't see any of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, there was a, Battle realistically, like in terms of the midfield fight that we we sort of talking about at the minute, it was there was like Hulkenberg, Ricardo, Sainz, Norris, Perez, and then Kvyat kind of threw himself into the mix more towards <laughs> the end with fresher tires. But there was there was a decent battle over that sort of bottom end of the points, like that best of the rest kind of section. Um, and I am pretty disappointed we didn't see more of it. To be totally honest, like. We weren't exactly watching a battle of any sort no. up front where we, yeah. we were just watching the cars go around. And I would have much rather watched these fights going on for like yeah. 8th, 9th, 10th and so on. And then well, cut back that, just to see how the leaders are getting on and then go back to the battles. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, And, and that I think that's the general opinion as well of most yeah, people that I've be. seen online, like on social sure. media and stuff. So Yeah, that, that was the race. The, this race... And we, we we covered this actually last week. Well, in last week's in the yeah. preview episode, we spoke about this. Like the, the race, the, the things to watch this week, which we didn't see any of on TV, were the the midfield battle for science was literally a science and Gasly were tied for points going into this race, um, and whoever came out ahead of them was going to be the whoever could get that point was going to be the person who t- took. Um, the sixth place in the championship and at no point did anyone in commentary properly give that lip service in fact no. i think i'm pretty sure ted kravitz got it wrong he had gasly on one point ahead of um science yeah reason. i vaguely remember that yeah and i, I was screaming at the telly at that time <laughs> in the office so i'm like no you're getting it wrong and there's, there's this there was this huge drama huge huge drama unfolding in the middle of the race as these these guys' strategies started to converge and diverge, and it was really unpredictable. You didn't know who there were different cars who had different advantages over different other cars at different points of the race, and there was all this racing going, all this overtaking, and we're stuck watching Red Bulls and and Mercedes and Ferraris just miles apart from each other, just going around yeah. the track. Yeah. And it- it's not why we're tuning in, is it? It's no, not what, no. It's not what we want to see. We're not there to see, to just look at cars going around the track. We were there to see hard racing. And there was so much going on this race and we saw so little of it to the point where to, at the end of the race, when science eventually did get the job done, we're watching bloody... Fireworks. Donuts <laughs> happening. Fireworks. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just like, give us the race. Give us the actual... No, it wasn't donuts we were watching, but it was It, it was, was, it was, Bot- it was Bottas trying to close it on Leclerc, wasn't it? But it was never going to happen. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. The, the, onbo- the onboard footage that we watched for the last lap of Bottas trying to close Leclerc was clearly never going to happen. It was the most pointless piece of onboard focus yeah. ever going. Like... You might as well have been watching Lewis doing donuts somewhere around the track. You right? might as well. <laughs> like what, what it, it, it was just as pointless. What they need to show at that point was Bottas and Leclerc going down the two back straights because that was the best chance the Bottas had of taking it. Yeah. And then as soon as... And I was as, happy to see that. Yeah. But then they didn't show us that. They showed us them around the last few corners where you can't overtake. Yeah. And then they should have been as soon as they got to that point in the track cutting back to 
Perez signs and co and showing us that. I didn't see that either. It, yeah, yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, and the timing at that point of the race, my eyes were glued to the timing graphic. Down yeah, the same. Left. Yeah, like I, 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 I had no. There must have been a period of like five, ten minutes where I did not once look at the action going on, at cars going around the track. I was looking at times because they weren't showing me what the world wanted to see, yeah. which was that midfield race to see if science could st- get that place, steal that point, and get himself up to sixth in the championship because he's had such a good season. I've be- mm-hmm. I, I was saying this the other day. I've become such a fan of him because. He's done an amazing job all season. We said this last week as well. He, he he's come from you know being a, a little bit of nowhere with the Red Bull team in the Red Bull program, and he was used as a pawn to get the Renault engine into the McLaren and for McLaren, you know, as part of that deal. And look at where he's turned. You know, look at the turnaround he's had. He's had such yeah. a great season. He's finished best of the rest. Not only has he finished best of the rest, he's, he, he has got no business in a midfield car being in sixth place in the championship. And yet he's managed to nick it off of two Red Bull drivers, let's face it. Yeah, yeah well, let, let's put it this way. Gasly was in a Red Bull for the first half of the season yeah. and Albon's been in one for the second half. So yes, fair enough, they may have been in the Toro Rosso for the, for the other halves of their respective seasons but ultimately where that Red Bull is when you look at Max Verstappen you would have expected both of them I feel like that maybe I'm doing a bit of a disservice to Albon here in, in all honesty because Albon's been really really good since he moved to the Red yeah. Bull but generally speaking you would expect one or both of those two even with half a season in the Red Bull to have potentially put more points on the board than Sainz. And admittedly, they're not that far behind him. Like, Sainz ended the season on 96, Albon on 92, um, and Gasly was in between them on 94 or 95, something like that. So it was it was pretty close between the three of them. But that's impressive from Sainz to put that car it above really is. two people that have spent half a season each in a Red Bull when yeah. that Red Bull's been winning races yeah, in the hands yeah. of Max Verstappen and he's third in the championship. Yeah, you talk about Albon sort of, you know, doing an Albon a disservice. Let's not forget Albon. Albon left the door open for Hamilton to come down the inside of him last race. Albon would be yeah. in He's sixth still place this championship if he hadn't left that door open. Yeah. He is still learning. Yeah, absolutely, he is still learning. Um, but you shouldn't be leaving the door open like that anyway. But anyway, but I, th- my, yeah, but my, I think the, the funny thing. The funny thing I've got about this. The reason I point this out is because. George Russell had uh, Alex Albon in the Formula One Secret Santa, the driver's Secret Santa, which <laughs> right. is a piece of content that's going to go out in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, and guess what he got him? Guess what <laughs> he mirrors. got Albon? He got him a, a, a mirror, ex- an extra large mirror. <laughs> 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 uh, good. That's very good. I do like, um, like Sky had a little like feature thing with, the two of them and Lando and Norris kind of as the rookies. And they're just like, it's just so nice seeing three drivers who so clearly get on with each other and like, mm. it just kind for of, now. for now, yeah. yeah for now. <laughs> Give it a few years. Um, I was going to say though, it was a weird race from a McLaren point of view, because again, if you just look at the results, not knowing what was at stake this race, they came, what was it? Eighth and 10th, which for McLaren this season is a bit of a, so so result but they were obviously mm. all they were concentrating on was 
getting signs to finish where he needed to to take that position in the championship. Like that was their goal for this race. And yeah. they worked the strategy around that, which is why it was so fascinating to watch. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, very, very um, pleased for him. Yeah. Um much de- well deserved. A well deserved sixth in the championship for Sainz. Yes. Totally. Totally. Uh, elsewhere on the grid, uh, we saw, well, I say on the grid during the race, <laughs> uh, we <laughs> saw contact between Giovinazzi and Kubica, um, which I think um, my head goes to say it was a little bit maybe clumsy or optimistic on Giovinazzi's part, but I'd be interested to know your opinions. Like, he essentially tried to hang it around the outside to get the inside. Oh, which is it? Was it turn? <sighs> I'm trying to think. It was at the end of one of the DRS straights, wasn't it? I'm trying to DRS remember which race. one is the second one, isn't yeah. it? So it's the end of. Um, they don't have names, do they? In Abu Dhabi, it's turn eleven into like twelve and thirteen, which then goes into the final sector. So it was like it was turn eleven into twelve. Tried to hang it around the outside, and Kubica, well, had to turn in at some point into turn twelve. I guess is the best way of looking yeah. at it but it, it always seemed like a a move that was never going to be able to stick and i think geo maybe left himself in a little bit longer than he should have but i i've been i'm interested to know your opinions on it because he's had a good end to the season until that I think. yeah i think i'm re-watching it now i think he probably needed a couple more feet of car alongside to really have a proper go at like hanging it around the outside for the next right-hander. But at the same time, I think Kibitz could maybe give him a bit more space had he realised he was there. So it went down as a race incident, right? There was no penalties for that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably about right. I think racing incident covers that. Yeah, I'd say so. And plus it's it's the two slowest cars on the grid, arguably the two slowest drivers on the grid, so... Yeah, it's a bit silly. Inter- interesting that you think that of Geo. Interesting. I don't massively rate Geo myself. I've I've just not seen him done do much. Yeah, but, but what have you seen Raikkonen Kimi do in the last eight races? Well, yeah, that's true. I suppose I haven't. I've not. To be honest, it's not. I'm I'm being unfair because I've not really kept track of what Geo has been doing. Been up to. He doesn't so get a ton of TV with. time. He <laughs> doesn't, and I've been so preoccupied with. I mean, neither did George Russell, but I know exactly how he's been doing. Um, <laughs> But you know, my eyes been on on your your main your three main rookies and and the championship battle. Really, yeah, it's one of those drivers. It's one of those teams, actually, Alpha. That's just that that they're also runs, aren't they? Let's let's Al- be honest. Alpha and Haas for the end of the season definitely have both been like if the only reason that they've had coverage is if something like this has happened, like yeah. coming together yeah. with someone or each other or whatever it might be. Um, that's really the only time we've seen them for the last few races because they've been in a weird no man's land. Like even having the Williams knocking at the back door, like yeah, having exactly. a little bit of a sniff at claiming something other than nineteenth uh, and twentieth for themselves, and like sneaking little eighteenth and seventeenth positions above like yeah. the Haas or or the Alphas if they fall into trouble. So it's yeah. been a or bit just- of a nothing end to the year for both those teams, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's been. I mean, let's let, let's just talk about Williams for a second. They've had such a tough, tough season with that car, haven't they? Like for yeah, they've had zero correlation for a while now between wind tunnel and and real world car. Um, they've 
they've had brake issues. They've had aerodynamic detachment issues. They've had drivability issues. The only decent part of that car is probably the engine. Um, Mm -hmm. And let's not forget as well, at the start of the season, they had to change a load of aero components around the wing mirrors and stuff because they were deemed to be illegal, which had a huge effect on the rest of the design downwind of that. So, yeah, let's hope that next season they they get it together and and sort of give George and um, Nicholas Latifi a decent decent car to at least that they can at least enjoy driving never mind yeah, hopefully sort of competing in just something that they can push and have confidence in and and use yeah well um George Russell's driving the uh, Mercedes for one of the days of the tyre test that's going on at the moment. Yes, so, he is. Tomorrow. tomorrow although Toto Wolff has made a point of saying that they're in no way going to use it to sort of benchmark him in any way. Everyone's going to use it <laughs> to benchmark him. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet like, he's Bottas gonna... was quickest in the first day he, of this test. He was, yeah. Yeah. Russell's going to feel like so, Christmas has come early, though, getting to drive that Mercedes after a season in the Williams, isn't he? Yeah, Probably. I think it's it's really useful for for Williams to have George Russell driving. That it really is because he's literally he's the, he must be the only person in or one of very very few people in the world to ever to to even ever exist who can go from driving the worst Formula <laughs> One car by a long way to the very best Formula yeah. One car also by a long long way. <laughs> It's a weird one, isn't it? A yeah, weird association. It, must, be, it must take a lot of getting used to. But there's, if if he beats, um, I mean, he's going to be running different components and stuff. The tire compounds will be different as well. But if he's faster than Bottas tomorrow, having spent a whole season in a car that just doesn't offer any grip, to move into a car that he's just not going to have any idea of where the limit is in this car after a whole season of Williams then that really says something about him as a driver, yeah. I think, regardless of sort of what sort of tyres he's using. It wouldn't take him beating Bottas for me to be that impressed with him. No, just like, To even of... be within within the same territory, like yeah. not even, like, I don't know, within a second of him, you'd expect that to be a marked demonstration of what he's capable of. Because like you say, the, the huge difference, the huge gulf between what he's been driving all season to that to get in it and then suddenly be that close to the pace of one of the faster drivers on the grid in the fastest car on the grid is mm. something to be like, it's something to stand up and take notice yeah. of, I think. He's, yeah. a, he's a weapon. He's an absolute, yeah. he's, a, he's a robot. He's a machine. If you can do that. <laughs> it's literally, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't have emotions and feelings. He has senses. He's Bottas 3.0, George Russell. (laughs) Um, Elsewhere in the race, um, Verstappen, as we said earlier, was struggling all the way through and with power issues and complaining about it for the most part. Um, But it didn't stop him making a huge move on Charles Leclerc down the back straight. Um, Leclerc had a little bit of a something to say about it in in fighting him back through the next corners, but uh, Max did hold him off. Um, But... uh, I think a very, very good move from Max here at this point. It was, um, yeah. what, what I was in quite, let's say, admiration of Max for this race in particular was not only was he quick, not only was he dealing with um, a, a, what was 
like a, a poorly functioning car essentially and, and having to go backwards and forwards with the team and change settings and, and try and deal with that whilst being quick, whilst overtaking what is supposed to be the second best car on the grid with one of the best drivers on the grid in it. He was also make like passing comments like I don't know if either of you noticed this, but um, Stu, Stu, Stu probably will have. But the over over the team radio, he basically said at one point that he said he said have both Ferraris just stopped because I'm pretty sure I just heard it over the radio. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I was like th- that w- that was a marked sign of how skilled he actually presence is as a driver, mind. and it's yeah, it's a presence of mind thing. Um, to to be doing everything that he was doing at that time and still have the ability to be thinking about things like, hang on, is it me or have they both just pitted at the same time? That's what I've just heard, isn't yeah. it? And and like to have that awareness around him. And I was I was really impressed with Max through this race, to be honest, mainly because of putting together all these different things he was going through. Like I know the drive might not go down as one of his best or anything like that. And he was in a bit of no man's land at one point once he'd got past Charles. But I just think with everything combined, not everyone would have got through it in the way that he has. And there's only a few other drivers on that grid, like a handful of them at best, that would probably be able to deal with it in exactly that way. Um, so I was really impressed with him. He through, kind of, through it for that. I should say, it wasn't necessarily like a classic Verstappen performance, but he had kind of all the hallmarks of the driver he's become this year. Like he was just generally very fast, incredibly aggressive when he needed to be, um, and just very switched on to the race situation. Yeah. Yeah, he did the business. He did. Definitely. Um th- that stop as well for the Ferraris. I think the one that he noticed when he was asking about it, that was the one where they they ended up moving on to the two stop strategy, wasn't it? Because um it was where they both came in off the hard tire uh, again, more or less the same time. And which way around will it have been? Leclerc went on to the mediums and Vettel. Oh no, sorry, it was the other way around, wasn't it? Leclerc went onto the softs and Vettel went onto the mediums, and they basically did, had like the reverse strategy to each other, didn't they? The same, roughly the same number of laps, but obviously in reverse yeah. formation didn't because they, of the way that they started. Didn't Very they double odd. stack them again? Yeah, and they double stack him a second time. They did, didn't yeah. they? It was weird. And again, maybe, that, maybe the that... second one was to prove that they could do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sort of screams to me that what you're suggesting, Stu, might be the case. Like, let's just avoid any aggro and bring them in back to back. Could yeah, well, it yeah. Stop, it stops it that. Like the fact that they did it twice makes me lean more to even more to it. Like I was open to it when you suggested it. I'd not thought about it myself, but. Now looking back at this, where because they were the only team in the top ten, I believe, to have stopped. Oh no, sorry, uh, Sainz stopped twice as well. And there yes. were only about five cars that did it. There was the two Ferraris. Uh, Sainz did it. Ricardo did it. Gio did it, and Stroll did it. But Stroll had issues because of the contact. I think yeah. so. That was one reason mm-hmm. for it. Um, and I think Geo had damage, which made him stop after the Kubica incident. So realistically, in terms of strategy, there was only four cars that did it from a strategical point of view. And they all did roughly yeah. the same thing. They went into the low teens, like lap 12-ish early on, moved to the hard for a 30-lap stint-ish in the middle, 
and then saw out the last 10 to 15 laps of the race on whatever they then alternated to. So there were only four cars that went with that, and Ferrari ended up being two of them. But it was just really weird, the double stack thing twice in a row. Especially so, yeah. when, as you say, Leclerc did medium, hard, soft, and Vettel did soft, hard, medium, but the pit stops were on mm. identical laps. So surely one of them has to be a bad strategy. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, yeah, one, one I don't think the soft tyre was ever up to much, was no. it? At any point, like even quality, like medium looked to be the better tyre, but the, I guess the case would be is did they maybe misallocate and not have enough Possibly. mediums to Wouldn't go? Be the first time medium, hard, medium. Maybe something like that. So soft was actually the better option. I mean, just run it hard. Yeah, looking at the results, you'd say Vettel was on probably on the worst strategy. I mean, yes, he lost a bunch of time with the pit stop, but even so, he finished twenty seconds mm. behind Bottas. I think Bottas was always going to catch him, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else do we have? Oh, the the battle that we talked about and never saw <laughs> the Perez v Norris uh, in the closing laps. Yes, another one. Um, that was one for for the ages that we'll never ever see. Uh, Perez called it <laughs> no, maybe I'm, his best move ever. Yeah, I've still not seen it. Has anyone seen it yet? Because I still uh, haven't. If you, if you go to Formula One's YouTube and go on there, uh, go on the top ten on boards. It's on there. Okay, it's, I will go find it after this. It's pretty pretty good. Yeah, it was um down into the the end of the second DRS straight. Uh, it was I think he went round the. He started to the outside, which becomes the inside for the next corner kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what he did. It was it was a very um, good move. It was a good move. Would you say? I mean, move of your life is pushing it. I think that's a big claim. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it. It was a good overtake. I think it was on much better tires than Norris was at that point yeah, that in the helped. race. So it, that that's going to help. Um, but yeah, he sent it around the outside, Norris he sort of put Norris in a position, I think, well, just the situation put Norris in a, in a, in a position where he couldn't really defend it. So he placed himself more or less in the right part of the track. He was in the middle. He says he, he feels like he didn't, but he did. He just, the, the, the problem was it doesn't matter where you put yourself on the track when the car behind has got so much more grip, it is just yeah. going to go past you whatever line it takes. Yeah, Norris had been um, on those hard since lap eight at that point. Like, he was... Yeah, he, he stopped earlier than he wanted to for that, didn't he? Yeah. I, I heard him saying after the race that, like, you know, it, they stopped a lot earlier than they wanted to, but then didn't want to completely change the strategy. So he ended up just sticking it out, which yeah, well, all is those possibly what cost him. It's a lot of laps. Um, yeah, it's a bit he of a did shame. beat he did beat the people he was racing directly, which was Sainz exactly and two Renaults. So yeah, it was the right call, I think. To yeah, stay yeah. Out. Were, were it um, not for a charging Perez, he'd have held on to the other position, wouldn't it? So, yeah, yeah. And, and like you it's, say, he beat who he was racing with that strategy. So yeah, it's just Perez sort of seemed to come out of nowhere when he made that yeah. pit stop. It was like, oh goodness, he is three seconds a lap quicker than everyone around him. He's <laughs> yeah. actually going to make up the time because he came out. Yeah. Well, about eight seconds, nine seconds behind um, the the guys he was going to be racing, mm. and everyone thought that's a big old gap to make. But you know, we, I was saying to the guys, like, keep your eye on Perez; he's going to be, yeah. he's going to be right in the mix for this. Um, and yeah, sure enough, he he sort of he he, he got the business done. He got past all of them, and eventually on yeah. the last lap, got past uh, got past Norris for best of the rest spot. Yep. 
Um, and then towards the end, pretty much in the final lap, I think it was, maybe the lap before, but uh, we saw Seb putting a move on Albon. Um, so very fearless defending from Mr. Albon, but ultimately it was futile and uh, Seb got past him. But I think the, the elbows out defending that we saw from Albon there was maybe slightly in response to leaving the door open a little too yes. much to Lewis yeah, previously. Maybe that was him that learning his lesson. Yeah. yeah. He must have fitted his big old mirror that he got from Norris, uh, from from George Russell. But yeah. again, he'd been on hard since lap 13 at that point, so yeah. it was a True. big ask to keep him behind. And that's it. Like He put up the fight that he needed to, but yeah. I think ultimately it wasn't ever going to... Some staunch defence. ...pay off. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. It, it was an interesting race, wasn't it? Because uh, we've, we've just talked about all these sort of different strategies playing out, and... Uh, from where I was sitting for a lot of it, I did feel like it was quite a boring race up until the last 10 laps. But it, I guess it's one of the, I don't know, it's the kind of Chris, it's, it's a Chris race. It's the kind of race you <laughs> love, Chris, well, which is the ones where there's really mixed strategy. You know, there's different tires on different cars yeah. at the track all at the same this, time. So everyone's yeah. sort of mixed up. There's moves going on. But this on. is the thing. If it's covered properly from a coverage point of view, everybody would know that and everybody would be able to enjoy it the same way me and Chris did. There's, because yeah. I, I understand exactly the argument of it was a very dull race for the most part, but I don't think it was necessarily a dull race per se. It was too intensely focused on Lewis leading from the front. Had it covered the the battles between Sainz, Ricardo, um, Sainz and Norris, Norris and Perez, had all that been covered... I think we'd be hearing a very different tune from people. And when you do go back and look at it in retrospect, knowing what you know about what was going on through the midfield, and you actually watch for that coverage and try and discover that coverage in any way that you can, you actually see how much more of an entertaining race it would have been had that been covered properly live. And I know it's not an easy job, but no. it makes a big difference. And I think yeah. everybody watching could see that there was stuff going on elsewhere that we weren't seeing because that was the general vibe of feedback I was seeing. So I don't think it's so difficult that you can't do it. <laughs> there is some way out there of presenting to the average viewer these more strategic races in a way that just puts it across better and makes these things exciting. And I'm not sure what that is, but someone out there must be able to work out a better way to present this sort of thing as a TV event. Mm. Mm. I mean, one solution straight away after the Maya is picture in picture. Yeah. So we yeah. show, because we've got 20 cars on track, why not have a second director de- directing a second picture of the race? Um sort of a secondary kind of obviously you, you you'll occasionally want the same camera at the same time but what if one guy's got all the buttons to the cameras and he's just looking or you've got a team of people making the second edit of the race and well this is know, that's like the, that could be the midfield broadcast kind i've, of thing, I've seen it? someone else suggest that at the end of that race we should have seen hamilton crossing the line with the fireworks in the bottom corner somewhere while on the main yeah. screen we're watching Norris, Perez, Sainz exactly. and co doing their thing. Because that last lap had so yeah. much going on and we saw precisely none of it. Mm. Yeah, that is very true. I'm going to suggest that. I'm going to put that to the um, the actual people. The, I'm the gonna, powers that be. A, the, Ross? They do a suggestion. They do an actual suggestion box thing. 
Um, and I will tell one of my contacts to, I'll describe that idea to them. We'll go into it in more detail, we'll figure it out and we'll uh, we'll put it forward. So well, MotoGP have been experimenting with it. So yeah, it, it is possible. Yeah, but like, come on, sports like NASCAR and IndyCar have been doing it since, yeah, exactly. what, late 90s, early 90s, easily. Like you've constantly had in in American motorsports, you've had cars on track doing the lap with either something coming up picture in picture or the cars doing the lap going down to picture in picture with like an interview with somebody that's maybe come out of the race as a yeah. DNF or something something else in focus. And that's been going on in in not just other sports but other motorsports for at least a couple of decades, I would say. I've seen that mm. happening. So it's not like it's new technology no. that needs experimenting no. with. Like I We see it all the time everywhere else. Definitely one of the hurdles they have that they would never admit to is that there's a lot of sponsor there's still a lot of sponsorship obligations and things like that mm. that they have and deals that difficult. they have with the teams like the Concord agreement so like the big a big part of like the broadcast deal with the teams is that if you are leading the race at the end you get you know the dominant footage for the last sort of five or so yeah. laps which is why we saw a lot of Hamilton towards the end while all these other amazing battles were happening and that's just that's always been that way and that the only reason for that the the only reason that can be is because that's a predetermined rule that's been set in the contract. You know, there's no other reason why they would do that. They want to show yeah. good content, but if their hands are tied, then yeah. they have to do what the what the contract says. But that's again that the picture in picture solution solves that problem. You would hope um, so. But yeah, it, I, I think second secondary direction team, and then they get second priority on the cameras, so the cameraman will have to. If, if if he's not preoccupied, he'll have to do what the second people say, which isn't an yeah. easy job for the cameramen. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're all filming everything all the time no, but until in, they're told in, what to film. In theory, that second team is going to be watching something else that's happening in a different part of the track. So realistically, in theory, there wouldn't be too much of a con. I know it's going to happen occasionally, but... There wouldn't be too much of a conflict from a camera point of view because no. if if one if the main feed is obligated to show Hamilton crossing the line and celebrating, that's fine. But you know the the science battle, uh, or sorry, the Norris Norris battle with Perez further down the field will have been six seven corners back, so it's completely different cameras at that point, isn't it? So I, th- I think it's. I think it'd be a logistical challenge, but I think it's possible to a degree. Yeah. The other, the other solution as well is letting people is giving the the viewer more freedom to watch the cameras that they want to watch. Like having every driver's onboard available to choose to watch if you so wish. And like I could have chosen to watch Perez's onboard or watch mm. Norris's onboard. And I know you can get that through like the F one app. Yeah, you stuff, do get it for F one TV. It's, you do get that. it's not, I don't think it's quite at the right level of accessibility yet for everyone to be able to think, do you know what? I'm going to watch that battle because that's what I want to watch. In the same way that like football, soccer coverage over here, the games in the midweek that aren't the weekend games, you hit the red button and you watch whichever game you want to watch yeah. and you With pick this, from all of them. This is it. Like, this mm. is what's making the sport look bad is that the to the casual viewer, it looked like a boring race. Yeah. It looked like a boring boring car race. But to the experienced viewer or the non-casual viewer, then 
they know from looking at the times and from their experience of watching Formula One in the past and from knowing the sport so well that there are battles going on elsewhere away from the front of the grid. So they're going to be looking out for that stuff. And they're, they're your people who do get the F1 TV app, who, who are watching this stuff unfold. But, you know, not everyone can afford the F1 TV app and well, a Sky subscription it. to watch the thing. Yeah. And my fear, actually, is that if they were to use a secondary direction team, and, and, and also I should point out that it's not just one director. The director is like a team of people that are mm-hmm. picking out the battles. And, you know, there, there is a main director, but he's got a bunch of people around him in his ear saying what's going on at various points around the track. Um, but yeah, the secondary direction team, if you, they'd probably put some sort of paywall in the way where if you want to watch the secondary feed, then you have to buy F1 mm. TV or you have to, you know, that's not, might not be available it's to Sky. It's kind of already like that up to a point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So well, it, it would just depend, depending on where on where you are in the world, you've got to pay to watch it in the first place anyway. Full stop. So well, I was going to say until true, the yeah. current Sky deal runs out, not a lot's going to change in the UK for sure because yeah. there's no reason for them to. Mm. I found something out over the weekend about the Sky deal. Did so you? over over Saturday, I wasn't at home during lunchtime, which is when qualifying was like by our time standards. Mm-hmm. And I was actually out with my parents. Then we got home and I went back to my parents with them and they don't have Sky Sports, so they watch their F1 coverage. You know, they're dedicated loyal fans, but they just don't pay for Sky Sports just to watch F1. Yeah, so they watch it on sense. Channel 4, which is terrestrial TV, like a rerun of the race a few hours later. So we watch mm-hmm. qualifying together on that channel. And yeah. at the end of the show they legally have to contractually say you can watch the race live on Sky Sports F1 or come to us for highlights afterwards. They have to say it. My my dad told me that they've been saying that all season because they have to. That's bizarre. You don't hear that very yeah, often. They'd never, because I, I they, turned to him and said, why are they advertising that you can watch it live somewhere else when they surely <laughs> want people to watch it here? And he was like, nope, they've had to. They've been having to say that all season since it changed. How strange. To being just on Sky. So that's a, that's obviously a, a thing that Sky have put put yeah. onto F, what it put into their F1 contract with FOM. And they, they'll have it so that if, if any third-party broadcaster... Um, broadcasts like highlights that they have to say that the free yeah. that, that the the live version is available on yep on sky which that's, i find so that's a sky thing that's not necessarily yeah. a yeah. Thing. It's probably yeah yeah sorry i wasn't i wasn't pointing fingers at fom or anything for it i was just saying i found it really interesting that that's been happening all season but because i tend to watch it on sky i've obviously not come across it until yeah. that scenario <laughs> this week <laughs> well, what it is is very canny um Contract. I say, yeah, Sky is. have been doing this whole live sports thing for a good many years now, so they're, they're yeah. no slouches. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, it's definitely. not their first rodeo. No. <laughs> um, since I've managed to debate television coverage <laughs> and how it should be improved and contractual agreements, should we talk about a driver of the day, gentlemen? Yeah, yes. maybe we should go back to the race. <laughs> we should go back to the race. <laughs> um, it is Perez for me. Um, from 10th to 7th, made the strategy work really well, had to make a fair few overtakes on the way to make that work, um, went right down to the last lap. Um, yeah, he's mine. Yeah. 
I can't argue with that. I'm I'm with you all the way there, Chris. Um, I agree with everything you just said. So nothing more to add <laughs> in true F1 press yeah. conference style. I, I I do think there were a couple of notable mentions like your science and your Norris. Um, yeah. I'm but, saving my science mention for something else, but yeah. Okay. Um, but Perez is probably overall driver of the day for what he did in that yeah. final stint. So I'd, mm. I'd agree with that easily. So that quite car, swiftly and nicely moves as... Oh, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, in a car that's widely considered not to be the best, the, the class of the midfield. No, so. not at all. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, but that does move us quite nicely onto move of the day. Go on, Stu. My move of the day, I mean, it just has to be science move on Hulkenberg at the end of the race. That's the the correct answer, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what else. I was literally, I was cheering when I saw, I didn't (laughs) see the move, but when I saw the thingy, the little little digit move on the side timer, if that's what it's called. I can't can't remember the name of it because I'm so excited about the move. Timing column. (laughs) Timing column. That's when I cheered. I cheered at that, and then it then it cut to like, not not to bring it back to the silly debate we were just having, but then it cut away from, like the timing thing disappeared, and it was the end of the race. But all those cars had to finish their lap to finish the race. Yeah, and they yeah. could have finished in any order. <laughs> we didn't see <laughs> yeah. any of it, and I was pulling my hair out. It wasn't until like a while after the race had finished that I was confirmed one hundred percent that um, science had got done. <laughs> But when I eventually did see it, he, he didn't half send it. It was a good old move that. Yeah, it was fantastic. It really put it, it put Hulkenberg right on the back foot as well. It, Hulkenberg got taken by um, Ricardo as a result of that move. Oh yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because Hulk was looking actually to finish above Ricardo, wasn't he, in his farewell race? But that, yeah. like you say, that put him on the back foot and let Ricardo through as well. So that scuppered yeah. that plan. I think it would have been nice for Hulk to have. Um, just seen out it with like that small I don't know is it a moral victory or, or whatever you'd want to call it I guess That's but... a small win it's a small win isn't it but yeah it's he, a small I victory think, a subtle victory I think he was happy with his race result though I think he he said himself that it was a worthy drive of his of his career mm. in Formula One and it, it that whole thing it's a shame we can't go back and just watch those four racing for the whole race yeah because yeah it was brilliant it was all race they were they were really really close together pushing each other all the way it was a proper sprint race for those lot and yeah they just they gave us a hell of a show but as i keep saying it was a show to nobody because no one other than anyone at the track saw it yeah so science's invisible move on hulkenberg and then yeah yes. yeah absolutely yeah. but you, you can see it you can of course see it through formula through Fom's amazing digital content that they put out every week <laughs> after every race um, we've got your back. It's our plug right here. <laughs> I'm moving on to a soundbite. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Well, there's two there really obvious co- ones. Yeah, there's a couple of like sort of general things, which is one DRS not being available for something like the first 20 laps of the race that it should have been. It was about lap 22 or 23, it came back on. So yeah. minus the first three laps where they don't have it anyway, that it left about 20 laps where it wasn't working properly. Yeah, I saw drivers using it, even though it was supposedly disabled, which make of that what you that were. That was, a, well, that was early, but then they just, they did manage to disable it for everyone. Yeah, I think I think it was intermittent, wasn't it? And then they just decided yeah. to disable it completely because yeah. they could see that there was a problem. And then obviously the other thing we've already got heavily into, which was 
the lack of that midfield coverage and just watching silver cars go around in the lead. Hmm. Not much else going on. Um, see, th- that actually, saying silver cars, plural, it wasn't even two, it was one. And I'm disappointed I didn't see more of Bottas making his way to where he yeah. did. Because he finished fourth at the end. And I know he's in a much more superior car than a lot of the ones he's driven through. But I can't help but feel if that was Max, Seb, or Lewis, maybe even Charles as well, we'd have seen that. We'd have seen him siding his way through the field. And I feel like I saw him once making about one move yeah. um, through the race, realistically, compared to what you would have seen of one of the other guys in those top teams. Mm. And it feels a bit like hard done by, but I don't know. That just comes, comes back to the whole coverage argument. <laughs> yeah. For me, the DRS thing, the DRS, the DRS thing was it was just a it was it was a server error, and yeah. these things happen. Yeah, and that much dealt with it. tech going on is going to happen from time to time. Yeah, and there is you know there's a hell of a lot of tech goes into these. Tr- this I was going to make this point actually these these Formula One tracks. You, to the average punter, you show up at the track, you see the cars going around, and that's all you really see. But what you don't realize is that there's guys showing up at the track two months in advance, wiring up all the timing looms and, and getting mm. everything sort of in order and testing everything, setting up servers, setting up this, that, and the other to make sure all of the electronics around the track that measure the cars, that, that activate sensors, that sort of tell the system when the car moves off the line. That takes a long time to set up, and it's a very, very, very complex system. And it only takes a server that you know the server that runs it going down to, and they do they do have backup things. They have lots and lots of backups in place. But for something like DRS, and when something suddenly becomes intermittent, the logical thing to do at that point is to switch it off until you're sure that it works. Because if you've got some drivers getting it and other drivers not getting it. That causes a, that can cause a lot of legal problems for FOM and for the people running the race, yeah. because you've you know, there's a lot of money at stake in these races. There's a lot of lot of points at stake, and if if someone doesn't get DRS and someone else does, and they lose out a, a world championship position for it, then that can have huge ramifications not only for the team themselves, but for the the workforce inside the team if they don't get the money that they need to run that team then people are going to lose jobs and that could all be traced back to one person getting DRS and another person yeah. getting DRS uh, which I is mean, a crazy thought the fact that they got it fixed as quick as they did during like a live event as well it was very impressive yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I don't want to give it to DRS but coverage I'm quite happy to give it to <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to mention at this point. Um, in in the form of a press release, actually, if I can. Ooh. <laughs> Go on. Oh, yes. Looking forward to this. Formula One today announces an exciting collaboration with designer Perfumes to create a unique fragrance collection which oh, will go on sale no. in March 2020. To mark the new collaboration, visionary designer Ross Lovegrove has created three exclusive limited edition pieces of 3D printed art which have been specifically inspired by the world of Formula One, uniting technology and dynamism with heritage and storytelling. Suspended in these first ever limited edition 3D prints, we discover the beating heart of the project, a collection of five exquisite fragrances. <laughs> Um, tire smoke. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say rubber. <laughs> one of them. One of them literally mentions like hints of like leather and it was like leather, oh but uh, something burning rubber and like rain on asphalt or something like that. 
Who wants to smell That's exactly like what I want to smell like on my way into the office. Yeah, so this is a fun fact. Got Did fun. you know that the smell of rain on asphalt is not the actual smell of rain that you can smell? It's the smell of fungi spawning inside the asphalt. Oh, that's kind of disgusting. Yeah, that's the smell. <laughs> you just anyway, ruined fact, the dream there, Stu. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically, there's five perfumes inspired by Formula One that cost about $250 a pop. And then if you want to put them in a fancy 3D printed bottle, they go up to about 10 grand for the bottle, I think it was. Yeah. So they're on sale do you now. Want to know some, do you want to know something? I might get something for Christmas. <laughs> do you want to know something even more funny? Go on. Mm-hmm. I caught a whiff of a few of them at the office. Oh, really? The other day. Yeah, yeah. And one of the people was actually going around squirting other people with it, which is quite funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> just squirting $250 perfume all over the place. Yeah. Well, I don't think the perfume, I think it's more the bottle that's the expensive. These are samples as well. Oh, no. The bottles are, the perfume's $250. The bottles go up to 10 grand. Oh my goodness, really? Yes. Wow. So that's my oh nomination, dear. Formula One perfume. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Given um, how much we've talked about the coverage this episode, we should probably say the coverage. Yeah, well, we can put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could. Add, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mental. Absolutely mental. I did already know about the uh, the perfume thing, but I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> you blanked it from your memory. Yeah, literally. Oh, here's a fun thing. Here's a, w, a funny WTF that came about sort of in between um, races. Did you see the um, Carlos Sainz t-shirt? This oh, I the rounds on on. Um, no, I don't think I did. Think it, it said it said smooth operator on it. See the t-shirt. Let right. me find it. Carlos signs because of when he sang it yeah he sang it a few times yeah this season mm. um smooth operator where are you it's basically so to describe it it's essentially a crest of sorts <laughs> i found it it's um <laughs> so it's it's like this weird crest oh, that's an f1 one. on it as a massive um massive f1 logo on some sort of like badge kind of thing taking up the full chest of the t-shirt centered on the t-shirt and then there's an orange section underneath the um underneath the f1 logo within the crest that just says smooth operator <laughs> like in long sort of spelled out really long and it's it's got the chili you, on it you just never wear it <laughs> Like you yeah, know, it's got the t-shirt. It's, it's got just the chili on it, Chris. Awful. Oh, their favorite chili. The yeah, it's got face the chili. chili. The chili the from the hat. I'd forgotten about that. Well. Yeah, and it's. I'm it's remembering most... it right now. Oh goodness! Why? Yeah, no one's going to wear chili on the hat. The good news is there's an offer on for 56 more minutes. So by the time you listen to this podcast, the old, the offer won't be on anymore. Um, you can get it for 25 percent off. Damn, it's 25 pounds. And it's only available in large, extra large, or 2XL. They've sold out of small mediums <laughs> of it somehow. It's a bad t-shirt. It's a really yeah, bad pre-order t-shirt. Pre-order now. Pre-order now. <laughs> we've just, we've just lost like however many people buy small and medium t-shirts that listen to this show by saying <laughs> that what they've just bought is trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, not, it's not the most ingenious of designs, really, is yeah, it? Yeah, well, as a, as a designer myself, like... I feel like if they'd just given me a shout, I could have done a better job. I'm just saying. Dude, I'm not a designer and I could have done a better job. 
<laughs> but yeah, there was a whole thing on Reddit about it. Like people were like absolutely slaying it on Reddit, which I, oh. I just thought was really funny. So I thought I'd, I'd throw that one into WTF <laughs> for you today. Okay. <laughs> Should we move to predictions? Let's I'm just going to keep shuffling us yeah. Yeah, closer that. towards the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, predictions. So for us, um, me and you, Tom, we got double ham each. Uh, but we got nothing else. I was desperately watching the Perez and Norris uh, names on the little <laughs> timing tower because I needed Perez to come eighth, but he didn't. He came seventh. Um, Stu, who lost his mind last week and said double Leclerc, got uh, <laughs> no points whatsoever. Predictably, no points. Um, in as the listeners, we had four people who got three points. Uh, Jason Burnett, Chris Mannering, and Richard Thornton all got double ham and Lance Stroll. Uh, and Graham Robbins didn't get Lance Stroll, but he did get a uh, seventh place for Perez. Um, and that's the end of the prediction season, so we can actually do the final results now. Um, I'll do us first. Uh, Stu, no. you finished in 61st with 17 points. I was in 51st yeah. with one more point than you. I, I beat you in the final race because of your yeah, you did. bizarre final race predictions. So I was 51st and 18. Um, but Tom, quite clearly the winner this season, finished 34th with 20 and a half points. Good two and a half clear of either of us. So well done, Tom. Um, Thank you. Well done, is, that, Tom. is that the second time you've won, I think? I think... Third, isn't it? He might be third. I'm yeah, I'm you won every season. Them all. I think he might have done. Yeah, so. <laughs> God, we need to put a stop to like, that. Like, this is the second. This is the second season that I've. Um, the the first season I won outright because we were still building our audience and people dropped in and out and didn't do every race like what we all did. All right, all right. And then oh, the second, the second, and the third one, I've basically somehow had a strong end to the season. I didn't you lose have, my yeah. mind like Stu. <laughs> Which, yeah, because to, to describe my season, I completely lost my mind to the towards the end of it because I was ahead by yeah. like five points over you. Two yes, you've had a very bottas season. You were a long way ahead. Yeah, I was yeah, a long way ahead at it. one point. I was, I was like, I'm walking this, and obviously, I, I took my foot off the gas <laughs> way too soon, and <laughs> fell back, and fell at the last hurdle. Yeah, um, well, the last few hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> but far more importantly, the top of the table. Um, we had in equal fourth place Eric Janus and Jonathan Corsegear, who both got 27 points. Uh, equal second was Max Couton and Chris Mannering, who both were just ahead on 27 and a half. But our season champion, who has been top of the table for some time now, and he's had a few ropey weeks, but has managed to hold on uh, on 29 and a half points, is Timothy George. So massive congratulations timothy yay um, congratulations tim yes we'll be getting in touch with you at some point to uh get your prize to you um a couple of honorable mentions as well <laughs> to uh katie o'brien who was in the top three for a lot of the season but fell away towards the end um and that's life who a previous champion to clawed their way right back in the sort of second half of the season and dropped away again a bit um but yes, thank you very much to every single person who's taken part, of which there are many, many of you. Many, many, many. Um, yeah. We hope you will all come back uh, next season. And if you haven't taken part yeah. this season, do it next year. It's good fun and you might win some stuff. Yeah. 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 But yeah, congratulations, Timothy. How... Congratulations, Timothy. <laughs> what are you wondering? I was wondering if we change the points around. Like, I, I'm, I'm not liking this like 
number of low you, you low do, score you, number. Is it because you, you came you last? Do every, you do this every time. <laughs> I know. You have a bad week. You're like, I wonder if we should change the scoring system. I wonder if something should change about this. I, I wonder if we give we give a range of points, so from five points down to one point. So obviously it's predictable. It's quite predictable who's going to be qualifying and winning. I think at the moment, Formula One. Um, I mean, so you could have like one and two points for fastest qualifier and the winner. You, and then, you, you say that, but between us, we've not even none of us have had a perfect week. There's only been one perfect week all year, if it, and <laughs> like we've barely scraped to get to twenty points between us. That's true. So, but certain, you say it's predictable, certain, but <laughs> certain aspects of it are more predictable than others. Like the. the the number of finishers and the position of driver and the first retirement, they're difficult. They're the most difficult thing to predict, I think. So I think they should be worth more points. And then the the fastest qualifier and fastest and winner, sorry, should should be slightly less points because you know it's going to be one of six cars, whereas the others could be any which. What, what we're about to find out is Stu's gone back through all the results and found out that <laughs> most of his points have come from there and it would overthrow me if, he, if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, I'm just off to we will, we will di- We will discuss it off air we'll talk during, the, off during the winter break. Yeah. And we'll maybe bring some rules in for 2020 and some new yeah. aero regs for 2021. Yeah, why not? Mix, mix up the order a little bit. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> Shall we move should on? Do, should we move on? Let's move, <laughs> on. move on after that. Keep me saying now. But stay, but stay on. We start this week with a note from Grayson Susena, um saying, "I know, I know, this is late." but I wanted to let you know that I saved your one hour, 40 minute Brazil review for the middle of my marathon that following Sunday. Great listen on the run. Keep up the great work. Oh, thanks, oh wow. Guys. Congratulations. That's, that's nice, isn't it? Good. I hope you did well in your marathon. I hope it inspired you to greatness. <laughs> yeah. I hope we gave you a few best. laughs along the way, but not too many laughs because that would just slow you down. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's cool to know people do things like that with it, I guess, rather than just sit and listen yeah. to it in a room. <laughs> As I, God, would. I, I, I don't think we're that engaging <laughs> <laughs> um, Jared Loudermilk says um, why do we get stuck watching Hamilton on the final lap with no one in striking distance oh. while Sainz and Norris are battling it out this is just really me complaining <laughs> um, a real question would be do McLaren have the ability to sustain their current success next year as a new fan do you think it's better to support the team or a driver thanks for podcasting Oh, I do think McLaren have the ability. I think, I think they at least have the ability to retain the position that they were in this season. Yeah, they have the driver lineup to do it at the minute. I would say as well. They're, yeah, I think they're in one of the strongest places they've been in a while, driver pairing wise. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's saying a lot considering they had Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso yeah. in the car recently. That's true. Yeah. I think they've definitely got the uh, the magic the magic dust, haven't they, between them those two drivers? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of like as a new fan, is it better to support the team or a driver? I think you know what support the sport, man. Like, yeah, the you can you can watch it however you like. Like if you if you do have a favorite, if a personality stands out to you, as a, for a driver, say you're a Danny Rick fan because he's a funny guy, or you might like the attitude of someone like. Um, uh, Max Verstappen, then you know, th- then 
then go with that. It's just, it's really, yeah, I guess you kind of have both, don't you? You have a team and a driver, really. Yeah, you, you do tend to have both. And you, like, I, I've definitely had both for all time that I've remembered being a fan of the sport. I've had like a, a team that stuck with me and then drivers come and go. I'm I'm lucky in the sense that the teams that I've followed have stuck around because it's the McLarens and stuff of this yeah. world. But you don't always get that, unfortunately. But I guess the the slight advantage to supporting a team is I guess the they're more likely to be around season after season. Whereas a driver, it's a lot easier to lose your favorite driver to a cut or something or not getting a seat. Um, and you could see your favorite driver, I guess, stuck in a rubbish car and not have a fun time with that, but that's just part of the sport, I guess. That's part of the it ups is, and downs yeah. of being a fan, isn't it? So, exactly. Same with anything. Mm. Uh, next, our new champion, Timothy George, uh, says, <laughs> with Mercedes smashing Ferrari this year, do you expect the championship to be closer next year and will there be a couple of teams moving up or down in performance? P.S. Thanks for letting me win predictions. You guys really need to pick up your game. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Um, I do think it'll be I close have, next year um, I, yeah I do I think Red Bull are going to be right in the mix next yeah, year as well yeah. I'd agree with that totally um, there's, yeah. there's your answer <laughs> and I think the midfield is probably going to be as close if not close than ever as well yeah 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 yeah, yeah. there you go oh it's me um Anna Shara says, name one thing you are most looking forward to in the 2020 season. Um, I think the, the competition between the top three is the thing mm. I'm most looking forward to. I think they're going to be much closer together next season. I think it's going to go down to Abu Dhabi. There, I said it. <laughs> and just more McLaren. winners as well. Yeah, McLaren yeah. drivers actually getting to stand on the podium. Yes, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> That's optimism, but I'm looking forward to yeah, it coming true. It's... I don't think it's ill-conceived optimism. I think it's it's a possibility. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlotte Taylor says, "Why did Ferrari feel the need to double stack the drivers at the first pit stop?" Uh, Seb started on soft and Charles on mediums. Another Ferrari error. I just I'm, I'm going with the Stu's theory. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with Stu's <laughs> yeah. theory from earlier on that one. If I'm totally honest. Yeah, I like that. I think that makes more sense than anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, next Charlie says how can F1 force all these new rules and regulations on teams for 2021 which the smaller teams were 100% going to struggle with and overwork their employees to get the best out of when they can uh, when the issue is clearly badly designed tracks that spaces each car miles apart mm, I hmm. don't agree with that I, I guess the, the thing is a big change like that it doesn't mean smaller teams are necessarily going to do a worse job of the rules that his, history shows that a new, a new rule set is an opportunity for the order to shuffle around a bit. Um, yeah. And and I think that um, I think that it's as much it is as much the regs currently as it is the tracks. Um, you know the the cars cannot follow each other as well as they could with the new aero regs in in, in a scientific aerodynamic sense the new regulations will make it easier for the cars to follow each other. Yeah. Um, and um, obviously until until they're on track racing each other, you can't say that for sure. But scientifically and aerodynamically, it should be an improvement. Um, yeah. 
and and there's more stuff getting standardized as well which is designed to help the smaller teams um, be able to take better advantage of those changes without having to stress the workforce too much more stuff will be standardized for 2021 to help with that yeah i think we you know there's 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 cost caps coming in and stuff and yeah there are smaller teams that that do struggle and I suppose overwork their employees to get the best out of them. But I don't think that's because the tracks, I don't think that's anything to do with with the tracks spacing cars out. I think it is the design of the cars that means that the cars, that that, that result happens, that the cars end up a long way mm. apart. Because it, you could put, if you put touring cars on any of these tracks, they would bite your hand off for some of the overtaking opportunities they've got. So there's no, I don't think there's necessarily an issue with the tracks. I think it's very much these cars, they really do struggle to follow each other. When you watch the F2 races and you watch um, the lower formula race at the the tracks, the Porsches, they're always toe-to-toe, really, really close together. There's loads and loads of moves going on. They can race each other. It is literally just, it's, it's car design. They're too reliant on aerodynamic downforce. Yeah, it it is a fatal combination, isn't it? The... Like the the thing the thing is, if the tracks were different, the aero that they're using would be different because they would change the aero to suit the tracks that they're running. You see that often enough when you go from somewhere like Monza to somewhere like, um, yeah, exactly. Well, here, like, yeah. you know, the the aero package is notoriously different at Monza to anywhere else on the calendar. So it's not like um, it's it, it's specifically a single track layout or all the tracks are too similar because they do run very vastly different aero packages um but yeah I, i'm i'm optimistic for the 2021 regulations to be totally honest yeah same yeah me too um should we do the next one go yeah. for it um perry brown says do you think the lack of drs for the first 19 laps made the race slash racing better or worse a lot of people seem to be suggesting it showed that drs isn't needed but I think the exact opposite. At least we got the current rules. At least we have the current rules package anyway. Um, well, I think Bottas was very relieved. He came over on the radio to say, "Thank God that DRS was active when he did um, <laughs> when it did come back on." Um, I, I do think in, with these cars, I think it is better to have it because otherwise you do end up with people getting stuck behind people that they don't that they shouldn't necessarily be. It's probably one of the only formulas, Formula One, where you where overtaking happens on the straights. And that is purely because of DRS. Most overtaking is done into corners in most forms of racing. It's very rare you'll see a car drag race another car on, on mm. a on a you know on a le- on a level playing field, on a balance of performance playing field. You're not going to see one car with much more power than the other one just streaming ahead on the straights. What you see, do see is cars matching each other on braking zones, and it's who's damn dare on the brakes. You know who can yeah. be the best breaker and get get ahead that way. Um, it, what we really want is to live in a world where DRS isn't needed, and that hopefully should be twenty twenty one. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, and then another one for this week is Dats Life saying two questions. When will we receive our 2017 Predictions League Champions trophy? <laughs> and will you be setting up a Hall of Fame for all the Predictions League champions? Um, I think the trophy is still lost in the post. We didn't have a trophy for the <laughs> first season, did we? That was uh, that was early days. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, 
Hall of Fame is a good idea, though. Yeah, it depends. I could probably get the results from that season into the system somehow. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds probably... like you'll have loads of time to do that, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I have no time right now. But <laughs> I'll find some time to keep those guys happy, I guess. <laughs> anyway, actually, I do want to put those results in because it puts me top of the board. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's always time for that. <laughs> there's always time for that. <laughs> Um, oh, they also actually said uh, thanks for another great season of podcasts and looking forward to next season already. Aren't oh. we all? Thanks, thanks guys. Life. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, that wraps us up for incoming this week. Um, I'll give it like an honourable shout out to Ryan who did send us one in, not only congratulating himself for finishing sixth in the Fantasy League, but <laughs> also asking a quite broad question about our favourite parts from the season, which... What we'll do is we'll save that specifically, Ryan, for um, the season review that we tend to do like into the winter break. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be putting that together and we'll do something like go through and rate the team's performances, the driver's performances, best races, uh, you know, best moves from the season yeah. as a whole. Um, we've done that for the last couple of years, so we'll be doing that again. So we'll save that particular question for that rather than getting into detail on yeah. it now. Want to sink our um, teeth into yeah, if mm, anyone else time. has any questions of that ilk they would like to send us in in time for that episode, then you can find us on Twitter. It's Back of the Grid F1. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Back of the Grid, or you can go to backofthegrid.com where you can contact us through the contact form. Um, and that is it for this week, I think. Um, as I say, we'll be back over the next couple of weeks with a season review. But that wraps up general race reviews and races for this season doesn't it it's been a fun another one 2019 it has it's been very good another one in the bag <laughs> where have has it gone where has it all gone it's a very good yeah, where does it go yeah. yeah scary well I guess I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> yippity yip skip you will indeed figure out something to do with their weekends yeah definitely we'll make some plans it's fine we'll figure it out <laughs> yeah goodbye everyone bye everyone Okay, bye.